0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises off. LinkedIn News.
1: What would it be like to pay attention to everything that you smell today?
0: Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Summer is a time when we all try to unplug from our otherwise busy lives just a little bit. And while vacations can feel rejuvenating, we also have to come home. So we want to arm ourselves with techniques that we can use every single day to feel better. So my team and I were guided by experts to actually experience the methods they use to wake up the feelings and senses we often ignore. And you can do these anytime. Why? Well, because becoming more aware of these is essential to building the muscle of self-awareness, enhancing well-being, reducing stress, heightening connection, and so much more. We're going to take you on a deep dive into four areas. Laughter, touch, sound, and smell. When we tried these, we felt better. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Today, I'm talking with Rachel Hers. She's a neuroscientist and world-leading expert on the psychological science of smell. And she's diving into how smell is tied into our identity, our relationships, and our emotions. Think about it. How has smell impacted you? How does it shift or change your relationship to people, to things, to places, to food? A whiff or even a passing fragrance can take you right back to a moment, a place, or a person. So of course, I was curious about how all this ties into the way we experience the world and what we can do to improve our experience with smell to make our lives better. So here's Rachel, ready to reintroduce you to your sense of smell.
1: 25% of college students would rather give up their sense of smell than their cell phone. And 50% of women would give up their sense of smell to keep their hair. And we did a big study that involves, we did the original study was done in the U.S. And now it's been expanded to 22 different countries in six different languages where we found the same results and a lot more. So it's pretty
0: uh, shocking. (laughs) Basically, we don't care as much about our senses of smell as any other sense. Exactly. Yeah. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I think it's primarily because people don't realize what the sense of smell gives them.
0: It's interesting to think about the fact that even after like the height of COVID, when so many people did lose their sense of smell, people would still, you know, say that. So this was actually why we
1: ran the study when we did. So I started collecting the data in the spring of 2021. So just after like, I mean, the sort of real crisis height of COVID, where people were still extremely aware, it was really in the media, it was all over the place. And I thought, I mean, unfortunately, we didn't have a study that was done in 2018 to be able to compare it to. The data were a little bit better with our quote unquote older adults and the older adults. The average age was like 40 something and our college students, you know, the 20 something. The 40 somethings had a greater appreciation than the college students did, but not very much. And it was like this really kind of stunning lack of the importance of smell, that the other thing being that like 99.99% of this people in our study had a fully functioning sense of smell. They had not experienced any kind of long-term smell loss as a function of either COVID or anything else that could have happened in their life previously. I mean, other upper respiratory tract infections actually also can cause smell loss, but prior to COVID, it was not something that many people knew about, or it wasn't, it was definitely, you know, much more of a rare phenomenon. But the people who have suffered even brief smell loss from COVID told me during COVID, because I talked to tons of people during that time and actually was a kind of a boon for my research, that it was the worst symptom that they experienced, even though they were extremely sick. So these were people that were also extremely sick and losing their sense of smell, even though it was just temporary, was Absolutely horrific for them. And people who've had long-term smell loss from COVID, and there are actually about 30 million people worldwide who've really suffered as a function of this, and we don't know when they'll get it back, and hopefully most of them will get it back, but... There is a probability that some percentage of them will never get it back. And those people's lives are upended in ways which people with a fully functioning sense of smell have no idea about. I mean, literally, our sense of smell impacts every aspect of our existence. People think of food. They think of safety, like I can't smell the smoke or something like that. But really, it's about everything. It's about our sense of self, our identity, our social relationships, our intimate relationships, our memory, our cognitive skills, our sense of self, are complete aspects of our quality of life. People often erroneously sort of mistake, quote unquote, taste for smell. So everything that you experience when you eat, for instance, is From a taste perspective, only salt, sour, sweet, and bitter. And if you understand what umami is, then also umami. But everything else comes from breathing while we're eating, which is actually stimulating our sense of smell, which is where we get flavor from. So for example, bacon tastes like salt. That's all you're getting from a taste perspective. But the flavor of bacon comes from the fact that we are breathing and the aromatic molecules in our mouth go to the olfactory receptors through inhalation and exhalation while we're eating. And that's how we get the sensation of flavor. But because the food is in our mouth, we think it's coming from our mouth and we say taste, but it's really coming from our nose and the brain knitting it together.
0: Uh, One of my best friends does not have a sense of smell and she never has. Mm -hmm. And so when I met her, I always forgot. Like it was just something I wouldn't think about. I would assume that she knew and I'd be like, oh, that food smells so good. Or like, you know, that person smells or like, you know, whatever it is. And she's like, don't forget. I never know when that's the case. You know, like I don't remember anyone's smell. I don't remember anything like this. So COVID was the first time that she's like, you know, these 30 million other people have joined her in this experience. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it is quite a bit different for people who have what's referred to as congenital anosmia so that she was born that way versus what's referred to as acquired so you Mm. had a sense of smell and then you lost it right people who had it and lost it are the are much more negatively impacted than people of course oh your friend is actually lucky she doesn't know what she's missing (laughs) right and her brain is (laughs) actually wired somewhat differently i mean to kind of compensate for not ever having had those experiences so she's not really missing out on her quality of life the way someone who had it and then loses it ends up suffering.
0: So tell me how the sense of smell relates to all of these things you just mentioned, our identity, our relationships. The thing I love about what I get to do on this show is I get to learn from people who can educate us on things that we didn't necessarily learn early on in life or in formal education. This feels like a thing that none of us really learned in depth. And so we so take it for granted such that we'd give up our sense of smell before our cell phone. So tell me about it.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I love that you pinpointed this idea that we don't learn about it early in life. Like your mom never said, oh, look, smell that rose, that smells like rose. She said, oh, look, that's a rose. See that thing, it looks like a rose. Or listen to that sound, it's the sound of a car horn. Like, you never actually got smell and tell education. (laughs) They're not really mapped onto your general world by parents or teachers. And that you just form personal relationships, but it ends up being a piece of the fabric of all of our existence. And the reason why it's so fundamentally and deeply tied to our experience is because because of where in the brain the sense of smell is actually processed. So the part of the brain that's referred to as the primary olfactory cortex, like where our conscious perception of scent is actually taking place, is the exact same part of the brain where learning memory and emotional experience is processed, as well as also spatial navigation. So When we have a negative impact to our sense of smell, we are also actually negatively impacting our cognition, our emotion, and everything else that extends to. Also from the point of view of like our personal or sexual or intimate attractions, that's actually also happening, not quite as fundamentally directly, but sort of like next door neighbor in the brain and also really highly innervated, but the exact same things. And in terms of our memories, our sense of self, like we're basically just a collection of the memories of our personal past. And if we lose that ability to connect with our personal past. We lose our ability to connect emotionally with other people because of this way that smell is involved in our like comfort smelling. Like you you hug somebody and then their smell is really meaningful to you or even comfort food. It's the aroma of the food. It's not because it tastes salty or sweet. I mean those are good experiences in and of themselves. But it's like you know the comfort food is comfort food because of the nostalgia, because of the associations, because of the emotional connections. And when you lose That you're really like a ship unmoored in your own existence, and everything starts to fall apart. I mean, really, quite literally, from one's relationship with oneself to our relationship with everyone around
0: us. Wow! I took this quiz about which sense which of the five senses I have underutilized, and you said many of us underutilize smell. How do we ingrain this understanding that smell is so important? Like, I I sense your excitement. It feels like you're excited about this, and I'm like, I want what you have. How do I get it?
1: (laughs) It's very hard, I think, for people to understand, except for if you start deliberately paying attention to your sense of smell in your daily life, like sniffing, you know, things around you, like actually sort of having a more mindful existence, a deeper connection to this thing we call, you know, the human experience. I love how you said that. I think that part of that is, you know, from a sensory perspective and from my perspective, like capitalizing on what smell gives you, like really taking the time to stop to smell the roses, you know, quite literally and everything around you, whether it be, you know, when you walk into a new room, like consciously, you know, inhale, what does that smell like? you know, when you meet someone and you hug them, like actually really take in how do they smell everything around you from when you nuzzle with your dog, for example, you know, how the dog smells when you eat, of course, really kind of savoring the flavor. Because like I said, flavor is coming from the fact that we're inhaling and exhaling while we're eating. And that's actually bringing the aromatic molecules to our olfactory receptors and giving us smell in that regard. And maybe even engaging in, kind of conversations about it like what you said when you said to your friend oh you know that food smells great or that person whatever smells with your other scent capable friends if you were to have any kind of like quick conversation like rather than talking about oh doesn't that look good or how something sounds or how something looks or even how something feels and or erroneously how something tastes like have a conversation while that's the flavor of that or the scent of that isn't that amazing and like Having that discourse, I think, will also highlight the value of it to people more, like just sort of bringing it into daily conversation. You know, things that we just sort of take for granted are part of our experience. Of course, our experience of food, our social relationships, our general safety, like can you smell this or not? So it's really part of every aspect of our existence that we sort of take for granted. And it's when we lose it that we suddenly have the horrible aha of what it was giving us I'm very lucky that I first of all have as far as I know not gotten COVID but the biggest fear I have of COVID is what if I lost my
0: sense of smell like I just don't even know how I could cope with that I mean I'm terrified of that actually you just had me thinking back to, like, if I imagine what it would be like to not have it having had it, I'm thinking of, like, the memories that I have or the the emotions I felt around specific senses. So, you know, it took me right back to when I was a kid. You know, my mom had a very specific smell, and that was, like, something that I knew, and it wasn't a perfume. I just knew that was my mom, and that was how she smelled. So to imagine not having that, I have a dog. So I think how my dog smells when she needs a bath, you (laughs) know, and, like, all of that when she's fresh from the groomer, I I'm taking myself down this kind of like scent memory lane yeah, to yeah. try to get myself to understand how important this is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you've just hit the nail on the head with everything that you've just said. Not only are you going to be appreciating what your sense of smell is giving you, but actually when you pay attention to smelling, you use more of your brain in smelling so you can actually smell more. So it increases your you know sensitivity hmm. to smell. So just deliberately, consciously taking in your scent environment. I mean, one of the problems actually with our sense of, well, it's not really a problem, it's a fact (laughs) of our sense of smell, is that it very quickly habituates or rather sort of desensitizes to the scent that's in our environment that's not changing. So let's say you walk into a flower shop or into a bakery and, you know, you first walk in and like, oh, you can smell everything and it smells great. And you're like, you know, really taking that in. Well, after not very long, like literally just a matter of a couple of minutes of being in that environment, you stop actually being able to perceive the scent because of a couple of different factors. But in any case, unfortunately, we sort of Don't respond to scents that are continuously there. We only really respond to scents that change. So it's like, you know, our sense of smell is a bit of a change detector. So when a new scent comes along, we can smell it. But if it's the background smell, like just part of, you know, the room you're in, we quickly lose the ability to take it in. So what I think is really important is whenever we get first enter a new space or when we first start to eat, because the same thing to a certain extent also happens while we're eating. Like if we keep on eating the same thing, you know, after, you know, the 15th bite, you're like not getting the same impact from flavor that you were with the first. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. But one of them is actually sensory that you're actually not getting the same level of input. And so I think it's really important sort of, as we begin any experience to sort of take in what is the scent, what is the aroma, what is the flavor, what is it, and then sort of appreciate it. Because even if we really wanted to, after 10 minutes or whatever the case might be, if we started to really pay attention to smell, then it would not be something that we could detect nearly as well.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, more from neuroscientist and smell expert Rachel Hers. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to- If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Rachel Hers. So your third book was called Why You Eat What You Eat. Tell me about the relationship of food, smell, psychology.
1: So the book actually has a chapter that's focused on smell and flavor, but it also talks about how what you eat might change your mood, as well as how your mood can alter your perception of what you're eating. So the book sort of combines the sensory, the psychological, the neuroscience, and actually also the social interactions you're experiencing while eating and how those all interact with each other to sort of create the impression of food that you're having at any given moment. And my goal in writing the book was really, and I think you in particular can appreciate this, is with sort of teaching people what's going on, like all the different things that are impacting them constantly while they're eating so that then they can be aware of it and then feel like they then have control over their relationship with food rather than feeling that food controls them. So now that I understand that if I'm in a big group, for example, I may eat more because of the fact that there's a lot of people there that there's more food on the table, that I'm distracted from the social engagements I'm having, that just understanding that Maybe makes me think, okay, how many chicken wings have I actually had while we're at the pub? (laughs) Again, bringing in a lot of awareness of yourself and being aware of all the things that could be influencing you. For example, like sound also. If the music is really loud in the background of wherever you are and you're eating, that can actually, that will decrease your perception of what you're consuming and can lead to us consuming more because we're not getting the same sort of satisfaction from what we're consuming depending upon the speed of the music, it can also make us eat faster. So, you know, the colors in the restaurant, and I know you just did something on, you know, dark restaurants, quote unquote, or, or eating blind, those will, that will also have an impact on how much we consume and, and also our perception of what it is that we're eating. And the goal is to feel both satisfied and satiated. So that is to say, I feel Like I've been completed by what I've just eaten. It's given me what I wanted. It gave me, you know, let's say the nourishment I wanted, but also gave me the pleasure that I was looking for. And what I always say to people is like, don't restrict yourself for eating any foods, pay attention and stop eating when the sort of balance of the pleasure to not pleasure starts tipping in the, I'm not getting anything anymore direction. So for instance, the first like bite or two of whatever it is, that's fantastic. But when it starts getting to be like, eh, Whatever, that's when you can stop. You don't have to finish the whole bowl or the whole slice or whatever the case might be. You can come back to it later. So, that kind of paying attention to where pleasure is peaking and then where it starts to level off or even drop off, that's where you can use your
0: own self as a guide to determine when to stop. You reminded me of like the idea of diminishing returns. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't eat 15 pieces of chocolate cake and enjoy them all equally. But your emotions, it sounds like, are what convince you to do more of that.
1: Why we're eating what we're eating is a a big part of this equation. So first identifying, am I eating this just because I want the pleasure hit? Am I eating this because I'm actually upset and I'm looking for specific comfort in this food? Am Mm -hmm. I eating it, you know, even if maybe it's because I'm self-sabotaging right now, like I'm In this really bad mood. I don't care about what I'm doing to myself. I even want to be antagonistic, masochistic to myself. Like there, you know, especially for women, eating is very complex and can get into all kinds of sort of negative relationship with ourselves kind of effects, which you know, we can talk about as an aside. But I think one of the first things to identify is why am I
0: eating whatever it is? Right. I think like a lot of times we don't want to admit why we're eating something or why we're making a choice because then we have to deal with the actual thing. We'd rather not become aware, which I think is what makes it hard to have to go down these kind of paths because then we have to go, okay, well, if I'm eating because I'm stressed, well, what's my stress about? Or Mm -hmm. if I'm eating because I'm, you know, depressed or because I just watched the news and there was something that freaked me out there, you know, then I have to go there versus just eating.
1: Right. I mean, that's a really excellent point to not want to confront the sort of deeper feelings we're having. We're actually turning to food to get away from those feelings. We Mm -hmm. don't want to have to confront them. So I think though, that you can sort of sidestep a little bit by saying, okay, start off with, there was something that upset me or something I feel bad. And I'm going to use this food experience to make myself feel better. Okay. The goal of the food experience is pleasure. Okay. Now that's an answer also. But when the food experience starts losing its pleasurableness, that's when to stop.
0: When I think about like foods I can't stand or foods that have just grossed me out or whatever, what is going on there and how can we use your research to maybe shift toward things that we thought we didn't like? Or do we need to do that at all? Uh,
1: Well, both questions are great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You don't necessarily have to eat all, you know, things. You don't have to get over your food dislikes if you don't want to. That's completely fine. But the other thing is, do you dislike it because specifically of the taste? Like, for example, is whatever it is you're eating, is it just too bitter for you? Like I'm so there's another thing is like whether or not I don't know if you know about this or probably do, but there's people who are what are called super tasters regular tasters and then non-tasters. And that's actually to do with the genetics of your taste system. And particularly what it sort of translates to is your sensitivity to all tastes in general. Like, so for example, if you're a super taster, you need sort of less sugar, less sort of creaminess to get to your like quote unquote bliss point, but also you're very sensitive to bitter tastes. And so there most bitter things are actually bad for you, which is why we are actually Mm. innately avoidant of things that are bitter. But some bitter things are good for us. Like there are various leafy greens which are actually very good for us that we may say, you know, I it would be better if I could actually eat kale and endive and Brussels sprouts because I know that's healthy and that I want to try to work on being able to eat that even though I have a real sensitivity to the bitterness in them and it's making me dislike them. So there's things that you can do in preparation of those foods if you are a super taster, if you find them like really unpleasantly bitter, to make them in such a way so that the bitter is less bitter. I mean, one of the one of the tricks actually for super tasters is to use more salt, even though salt also in, in large quantities is not the healthiest thing necessarily. But salt actually will block the bitter taste of Of these bitter leafy greens. Also, you know, doing various things with actual sugar. So caramelizing and for the specific foods too, you can look up recipes on how to decrease the bitterness and make them more palatable for you. The other thing is, you know, is this just culturally or personally? I just don't like, I don't like the texture. I don't like whatever it is. Maybe it's also from something in your past, which is actually Uh, flavor related so smell related like do you have what's called a learned taste aversion so I for example do for pepperoni pizza when I was a little kid I happened to have gotten a stomach flu after I ate pepperoni pizza and was really sick obviously and pepperoni pizza being the last thing that I ate prior to being sick is stuck with me as this you know food quote unquote that got me sick even though it didn't and therefore I have this aversion to it and don't want to eat it now not that I should necessarily be eating pepperoni pizza but one of the things is to be able to recognize okay that's the reason why and If I want to eat pepperoni pizza, maybe I can sort of psychologically tell myself, okay, that was never to do with getting sick. Maybe just have a bite, see if you actually like Mm. the flavor, and then maybe try to get over it if you want to get over it. But sort of, again, it's like, it's again about identifying what's the cause underneath this? What leads me to either want to eat this food or why I don't want to eat this food? And once you understand the cause, maybe you can either seek remedy or like you said, who cares? You know, just don't eat
0: it. I had a weird experience with peas as a kid and I, I don't really care about needing to fix that, <laughs> but it is something that I don't like to eat. So like, you know, it's, it happens. Yeah. Pepperoni pizza. I do. I'm like, oh God, I really hope, I hope you enjoy it. At some point. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My husband and I would go to Red Sox games. Getting a slice of pizza was part of the game day experience. And he always wanted to get pepperoni and I always wanted just plain cheese, but I would, you know,
0: Take a bite of his like, OK, you know, this is really this is good, but I'm just not going to go as far as ordering it. <laughs> mm. Can we undo emotional experiences through smell? Like it's it feels like there's an input that's related, but I'm wondering if there's like an undoing.
1: Yes, so that's a fantastic question. So, one area where this is really significant actually is in post traumatic stress disorder, where a scent becomes part of the trauma trigger. So, for example, if the person who was assaulting you was wearing a particular cologne, or if you were in a combat situation and there was like the smell of burning hair or something along those lines, where you now have this trigger, which is a scent, which is leading to this really emotionally traumatic memory you know, episode being brought back to you. How do you undo that, for example? Now, first of all, it is difficult, but it can be done. And you can sort of, although it is hard, you know, our first associations with smells are actually the ones that become most indelibly imprinted. But there are ways that we can work with smell to sort of undo those associations so that we can actually get to either having a neutral, at least having a neutral response to those scents in the future. Again, it's about recognizing what is your trigger and then working with you know, variations on that to try to get into, you know, being able to be relaxed with it. I mean, PTSD is the most extreme example of this kind of thing, but even more subtle kind of just negative emotional experience that we have. And then, of course, we can also, I mean, the field of quote-unquote aromatherapy is about using smells to make us feel good. And we certainly can identify, like, I really love that scent. If I'm feeling kind of down or blue, you know, smelling that is going to make me feel good. So I'm going to specifically turn to that scent to make myself feel good is another thing that we can do. and I certainly do that all the time. Like I have, you know, personal favorite scents and that if I'm feeling stressed or unhappy about something, then I will just sniff them. Now, one thing again, like the sort of issue of being overexposed when we walk into the room and then we stop being able to smell the smell very well is not to overuse our go-to, you know, good mood smells because the more we use them, the less they'll be effective. So it's a good idea to kind of have your own personal apothecary like to have like your 10 smells that are your like greatest hits like I love the smell of yeah. lilacs like this time of year for example I literally stop as I'm walking my dog and we're walking down the street and we pass a lilac bush. That's a scent I really love. And I'm going to get that smell, you know, in a bottle, let's just say, and turn to it. Or others have a collection of smells like that. Maybe it's a perfume that your mother used to wear. Whatever it is, like your just favorite smells. It could even be a food smell you really love that you don't eat too often. So. Peanut butter, I love that smell. I don't eat a ton of peanut butter sandwiches, so I can, I still really smell it, you know, and I love the taste of it too. So maybe I'll just get a spoonful of that. Does two things, you know, I get the endorphins from the fat because I'm eating it, it's really pleasurable. And then there's the aroma I love too. Again, though, don't sit down with the entire jar. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Another thing that I do and I really recommend is like if you're gonna go on a special vacation or trip, buy a fragrance that you don't normally wear that you've never used before. And wear it every day on your trip. And then you want to remember it in the future. Bring out that fragrance bottle, sniff it, and then you will be transported. Like, forget about your snapshots. Cool. You're going to have a scent album of your trip by using the smell that you had. But again, you can't do it too often because it'll wear out.
0: It's so That's funny. I am, like, not a great picture taker. And a lot of people in my life, like, do a lot of pictures. And I normally find that I just want to take in the thing. But at the same time, it's like, I don't remember it. And I'm like, oh, this is a way for me to capture that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. And you'll remember it for your lifetime as long as you can still smell. I mean, that's another thing about scent memory is it's extremely enduring. So if you smell something and it's connected to something meaningful for you, even if 20 years have gone by, when you smell it again, you'll be brought back to that moment. Mm.
0: So there's an upside of how we remember experiences based on smell. And then I love this idea of having this apothecary of fragrances. You know, eucalyptus is one of my favorites. But it's funny because I use a eucalyptus body wash and now I can't really smell it in the same way. So (laughs) it's like it's this, it feels like there's definitely an optimal spot that we get to where it, it still has its significance. But then if we go overboard, we lose that. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, like I think of, you know, I grew up in California, there were a lot of fires when I was growing up. And so when I was young, the smell of fire would trigger me, even if it was just like a chimney that had been, you know, lit and was going and that would it would immediately put me into this like fear mind of, you know, the fires that we experienced. So we can also on the flip side, do things to decrease the alarm around that experience.
1: Absolutely. And it's funny that you bring that up as an example because where I grew up on the in the Northeast, and you're not really allowed to do this anymore, but burning leaves to me in the fall, to yeah. me that's actually a really good smell because it's not associated to in fear of the house burning down. It's just like this smell of fall and for various reasons, just really love that smell. So it's the meaning that we assign to the scent that then determines our response to it. So if you had a meaning that was like, no, I should be afraid of this. This is danger. Then that is what the scent is going to trigger in you. If the meaning is fall and fun and playing in the leaves and, you know, whatever the colors and everything else about it, that's the meaning Then it's going to be a really positive scent. And Mm -hmm. It, if we can also like literally sort of reverse engineer our experiences with scent by deliberately saying, OK, this is the emotion and this is the meaning that I want to have paired with this scent. And then getting into that state and then smelling that smell and then creating that association so that then when you smell that later, it triggers what you wanted it to. So it's like being very in control of that.
0: So if I'm like, I want to feel more joy and contentment and when I can get myself into that place, like if I'm doing my morning gratitude, I should have some smell that's associated with it?
1: Yes, exactly. But again, if you use the same smell every day, (laughs) I would say don't do that every day. Like So for example, when you really get that into that place that you're really like, this is it, then take a scent that's something that you don't normally smell all the time. So don't use eucalyptus, use some other scent that you don't you're not very familiar with, it doesn't have any specific explicit past association for you, pair it with that feeling of content, peace, joy, gratitude, and then do that maybe just a few times. And then later on when you're in a really stressed situation, go to that scent.
0: What's been the most surprising thing that you've learned about smell in the last, in the recent, you know, work you've been doing?
1: Well, the recent work I've been doing has a lot to do with technology and the future and things along those lines. And what I'm personally like very interested in is the whole idea of what the digital version of scent can be, if it can be, how it will be used, hopefully in a positive way. But -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about sort of how using our sense of smell and how scent can be used in the future could have like a really big impact on our existence. One of the things that I've thought about is that if you in that, world had a scent unique identifier, then that would help like identify you as a real human, for example, versus an AI doing whatever. Obviously, also very much thinking about scent and our health and using smell deliberately to increase and improve our health, especially our brain health. Exercising our nose, especially as we get older, is something that is really important for improving our cognition,
0: keeping our sort of brains and body healthy and functioning. I have one like random thing that's come into my mind where I live in New York and I order seamless. So I have my favorite restaurants. And when I'm ordering in and I'm like, oh, how cool would that be if I could click on the restaurant? Somehow my phone could deliver a sense of that smell of that place. But I know the smell of McDonald's, you know, like I'll never forget it kind of thing when you know when you're getting close. <laughs> exactly that,
1: actually. I mean, and that's something that a lot of technologies are working towards so that First of all, there's already something that if you were trying to find out or like what's that perfume like rather than having to go to Nordstroms or whatever and like at the perfume counter and try everything out so that you could actually through a digital interface, you'd obviously have to have your laptop set up so they could do this, but that each of those fragrances could be then created on your end and you'd go, "Oh, that's what that one's like. And just like you said, also with food. So like what does that you know pad tie actually smell like? <laughs> And then be able to get it now. The problem would be probably that the restaurant would not give you its version; it would give you like idealized the stock versions. version of pad yes. Right, <laughs> right. But the key actually moving forward is to actually really recreate what's really on the other side of that screen—not some prototypical version, but actual what it is. Now, can that be done? How it will be done? Those are you know future questions.
0: That is fascinating. All right, Rachel, I'm going to have you answer or complete these three statements for me. Better humans are. More thoughtful. Better work is. More fulfilling. And a better world has. More kindness. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was great to meet you. Well,
1: thank you so much, Leah. It was a real pleasure to be on your show.
0: That was neuroscientist and smell expert Rachel Hers. One big thing before we go. The part of the brain where conscious perception of scent takes place is the same part of the brain that processes learning, memory, and our emotional experiences. Yet we're not explicitly taught about how important our experience of smell is and its value in our lives. If you know me, you know I love introducing concepts and research that somehow didn't end up in our textbooks. I hope we did that for you today. So go out, stop, and smell the roses sometime, or whatever it is that brings you joy. If this conversation has you thinking about your relationship to your sense of smell and taste, share it with someone who might wanna learn more too, and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. If you feel so inspired, write a quick review for us. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. And you can find my newsletter on how to live even better than you do today and every day at www.linkedin.com I-T-A. That's www.linkedin.com I-T-A. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf drone makes sure we sound good in the studio, mixed and sound designed our entire summer series. Hats off to you. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Koop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.